Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. What up, everybody? It's your boy, Prez. Happy baseball season. Yeah, that's right. Leading off this podcast with baseball season, because that's how I fucking feel today. And I feel some type of way because we have a special guest who is not a first-time guest. This won't be his last time. Uh, He is Chris Persianen of WFUV Sports of Knicks Film School of the Knicks Film School Draft Class Podcast of Fordham University, of the state of New Jersey, of what else, what else do I got here? Uh, of uh, allegiance, fellow, fellow, allegiance to fellow Shake Shack. Sh- <laughs> allegiance to Shake Shack, smart. See, this is why this is why I knew you're you're cool. And then also fellow Sharif Cooper regret haver, uh, among other things. <laughs> yeah and (laughs) let's just stick with that one yeah (laughs) not mention the nine other (laughs) the nine other guangdong tigers i gave a lottery grade it's okay i'm sure guangdong appreciated your uh your constant scouting pro bono for for their department um he's here i wanted to have him on the podcast Today, this week, so y'all will be hearing this Thursday. We're recording this Monday before hopefully the Knicks uh, beat the shitty Houston Rockets. And uh, Chris released his top 10 of his draft board on Twitter. And when you released it yesterday, right? This morning. This morning. My bad. My bad. Just because just you got the sneak peek yesterday doesn't mean everyone. <laughs> Come on. Sorry, listeners, you don't have the plug, but I do have the plug. Um, and it's really, uh, first of all, shout out to uh, Zach, friend of the pod, for the graphics. Continues to knock it out the park, as always. Um, you can see his work anywhere where good Nick's content is, really, um, particularly on the Strickland. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about the guys you have in your top 10 and then some other dudes who the Knicks might be in a place to consider, right? I mean, Dallas is floundering perhaps too much. Um, although the NBA did us a favor and rescinded Luka Doncic's 16th technical foul, so he'll be playing today, and Halliburton and Miles Turner and Buddy Heald are all not playing today, so it looks like for once Adam Silver and Mark Tatum are throwing us a fucking bone, which is nice. Hopefully Dallas doesn't go and squander it, because uh, even though this is a top 10 that we're going to talk about, um, there's a good chance the Knicks pick will be right outside of that if we keep it at 11 or 12, which means some of the players on this top 10 may slip to the Knicks pick. 
So uh, all the more reason to discuss these players who, if you would have asked me a month ago, back when Dallas's pick was like 19 or something, I would have been like, yeah, I mean, I'll talk about them, but like, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Good things don't happen to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I learned my lesson. Um, and, you know, for me, it's not us as a Nick fan. It's just a, as someone, you know, now that I am not a fan of anyone. Um, it, but <laughs> for me covering the Knicks, I have realized quickly that um, ev- everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And not in the sense of, oh, like the team is in a bad position. It's in whatever coverage you had prepared is useless. And by that, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, much like you did a multiple month long draft show last year. I don't think I brought up Trevor Keels one goddamn time. Okay. I don't, I really, not only did I look at him and be like, the Knicks wouldn't draft him, <laughs> but I, I also focused on like guys that I had in the top 30 because the Knicks might have them in the top 18, right? And they they walked away with just Keels. My first three, four games as a beat reporter, the Knicks were up by 13, 14, 15, and 23 in those four games. And this was around halftime that they were up by that margin. They went 0-4 in those games, and I'm 4-8 and eight at games. The games I, I've attended as a beat reporter – the Knicks are a team that's 10 games above 500. <laughs> and I Is it too I, late for you to change professions? <laughs> and I only report on them when they are at home <laughs> with their home crowd with home court advantage with a rest advantage on the other team and they are 4 and 8. And <laughs> and I started 1 and 7. So this is the four, the four and eight is a real, you know, renaissance of, of a record for me. I, I just know to expect everything that I wasn't expecting. So yes, I'm ready to talk about, you know, guys that weren't even in my top 10 because they'll probably go top 10. I'm ready to talk about guys that, you know, when I put out my top 14 very soon, um, you know, when I expand the 10 to 14 and put that out soon, uh, you know, there are going to be guys that don't go in there that will go in the top four teams in the, in real life. So, you know, lots of, lots of guys to talk about. Never. If I'm on this show, take my board as, as like the guys to talk about. If I'm, if I've put out a top 10 board, it means I've deep dove 20 plus. If I put out 14, it means 25. Right. So like, um, yeah, I, I love talking about, both the guys I love and don't love in relation to everyone else. Cause I still, you know, this is a really good class. Like I would take someone who will probably go at like 16 in this class. I would take them like top 12 last year, you know, like it's, it's good. It's good. It's fun. This is a really fun one. And I almost feel maybe there's a pressure on the draft community to really enjoy this class because next year, I think the lotteries and top tens are going to be so different in the sense that really the prospect class is going to be, you know, not as gleamingly gorgeous to choose from uh, and you'll see more variants. So I think this is a really interesting year because when there is differentiation, it's not as much because there are such varying opinions on guys. It's really more because there are so many talented guys um, that, you know, you could put 
22 different guys in a lottery in a different amalgamations and it'd all add up as long as you've got the same couple guys at the top. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think that's definitely what makes this a fun class is the depth of both top and uh, middle end talent. So this is how we're going to do it. First, I'm just going to go through the guys just without any commentary. And then we can get into the particulars. And um, I got a couple questions lined up that are fun. So first is Victor Wembanyama. Surprise, surprise. If you don't have him first, seek help. Uh, second is Scoot Henderson, the uh, point guard virtuoso extraordinaire from the G League Unite. Third is Cam Whitmore, the young star wing in the making from Villanova, who I know you are similarly high on. I think I'm sure other people have him three around, uh, but it's not that many people. So uh, we might be alone on this boat, uh, <laughs> which is fine with me. Uh, and after that, Amen Thompson from uh, from the Overtime Elite League. Uh, fifth, Walker from Houston. Sixth, Miller from Alabama. Seventh, um, the other Thompson twin, Asar. Uh, Keontae George. Taylor Hendricks, fan, uh, fan favorite of, among Knicks people on the internet who pay attention to the draft. And tenth... Um, I actually don't know how if it's Kassan or Kaysen. I'm assuming it's Kassan, but I, I've actually never fact-checked that. Um, Kassan Wallace from Kentucky. So my first question for you is, this is a very obviously a very talented top 10. How many of these guys would you consider? I'm assuming last year you had a top three, just like everyone else, some order of Paolo, Jabari, Chet. How many of these 10 would be in the mix for those three spots for you? Oh, it's really good. Yeah, I had <laughs> I, I had Chet one, Paolo two, Jabari four. Oh, who'd you have three? Ivy? Jade and Ivy. Okay, so let's rephrase that question to four because Ivy was really cool too. Yeah, and I, I actually for me it was more of concerns with Jabari. Why I put him like I just thought <laughs> Ivy had an easier path to being worth the third overall pick than Jabari did. Sure. Um and like I've actually started doing my boards like that i used to just do straight up upside um because i thought that's what the lottery was all about and now i realize that like it's not so simple <laughs> so um but yeah so if we're, if we're talking paulo obviously wemby um wemby i would take over all you know everyone there um but scoot i would <laughs> i want to say i would have gone Wemby Scoot and then all those guys. Like okay. I think Scoot to me is not. I know there are people, I know someone that has him seven. Um oh no, nah, that's very agree. That's very disrespectful. <laughs> I know someone that you know, like there there are different takes and different reads on Scoot. Um but to me, he he would go number one in other drafts. It's the fact that you have a wing who plays like a guard who is the size of a big man <laughs> who is going number one. That's really the best way I can describe Wemby is he's a wing that plays like a guard, but is Zach Eady size. Like, I don't know what, how the hell to right? And he is going to go number one because if you have the first bite at the apple, 
no matter what rotten shit lays beneath the surface, you always bite for what looks like the juiciest, biggest part of the apple. You're trying to get the most juice out of that bite that you can, and you go for Weminyama. But after that, I think Scoot's a number one caliber guy. I'm going to go with him. Then give me... <laughs> Now's where it gets fun. Because <laughs> I agree with you. I would put... I would have uh, taken Scoot number one over last year's yep. guys. Not yeah. that not that there's some like ama- like ridiculous golf, but it's just like I, I would have just taken Scoot number one, and it would have been... Not a difficult choice for me. The the Osar Keontae Taylor, I'd say Kaysen, because that's what Sam Vicini says. Okay. So I trust him with yeah, my he first, definitely has the my, correct answer. With my firstborn. <laughs> so um you know, whatever. So uh, uh but the Keontae Hendricks Wallace portion of, of my 10 is and even like Osar um is where I think like okay. Jabari's there. Okay. Um, probably in between Miller and Thompson. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have loved Jarris over Jabari last year. I just, mm-hmm. I'm such a sucker for J. You know this for weeks now. I'm such a. I feel such, like he's number five on your board, but number one in your heart. In my, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love, I love that guy. Um, so between him, Amen, then. Cam, uh, give me Wemby, Scoot, Chet, Paolo, Cam, Amen, Ivy, or actually go I Ivy, Amen, Jarris, B Miller, Jabari, Osar, Key, Taylor, Kaysen. That's that's very impressive that you were able to be so decisive about that because I'd be waffling all over the fucking place. But it's I, my show, I, so I, I have am, to do that. I am in my head. I am <laughs> in my head, and I'm already thinking I would have had Jabari over B. Miller. But I, I, it's like, to me, it's all rough anyway. So why not just try to be decisive about it? Because <laughs> Yeah, and, and you put it into like, I mean, you gave an order, but I think it's also important to do what you did to include groupings. Cause that, not cause that makes that gives you like an alibi of sorts, but I, I think, you know, there's sometimes you know you have enough confidence to say this guy is definitively better than the other guy, and I think in most outcomes that's going to be the case. Versus like, I think this guy's better, but it wouldn't surprise me if the other guy's better. They're in the same tier, right? Like that's that's an important distinction in terms of how confident you are. So uh, I, I haven't even done this exercise myself. I'm just using it more as an illustration because like you know that it's funny last year it was kind of i don't want to say by the end of the by the end of the job cycle i don't want to say people were underwhelmed but they were just kind of like whelmed right and then check got hurt which was just really unfortunate and Paolo got off to a light speed start and like full disclosure like i Paolo's one of those dudes who he already answered some of the questions I had. So like with hindsight, he's already beating my expectations, which is, which is what you love to see. That's awesome. Not that I was like low on him or anything, but he's just like, my, one of my main question for him was literally like, when will he learn that he's a juggernaut and can just like, nobody can stop him. He could just draw a zillion fouls. And he was like, Oh, I learned that over the summer. 
I can now draw a zillion fouls as a rookie. He's still working on all the other stuff, but that's right. for me was that was homework assignment number one, and he got an A plus. So that's, that's pretty good. That's what you like to see. See, and I that- always <laughs> do the I always do the couple word descriptors on my mm-hmm. board. Um, which Zach fucking hates because getting him, like sending him a, a a blob of words, and I get back every time like, dude, like that's like seven words too many. So I have I have to cut it to like three words max. But you know, Wembenyama, I put all time big because whether that's all time big prospect, whether you project him as an all time big. I feel like that encapsulates the hype around Wembenyama. I right, feel, you know, right. Scoot, all NBA engine. When I say engine, I mean the goddamn V8 underneath the hood of that damn offense. And all NBA to me is like the caliber of prospect he is, as well as like what you what a lot of people see him becoming. So it's like that that for me is what I try to do in those descriptors. My descriptor for Paolo, and I'll never forget it, honestly, in my whole draft life, however long that lasts, is is that. I put masterful big scorer for him because I watched that guy and I was just like, I don't know what's more important about him besides the fact that he's masterful. He's fucking like large sized. So like, I I think the skill and the size was the sell for me from the beginning was just like on him reaching that, that level. Like if I could bet him minus one ninety to make the haul today, I'd do it. Right. Like, I think he reaches that that level, and it's because he's just like he's a real hooper, but he's also like six nine. So, so um, that masterful scoring that he has—that I don't know. Like you want to say Beasley and like get into trouble, but I don't like it's something. Dude, in my end of in my end of cycle thing where I was making jokes about all these guys, my high end thing for him was elephant steroids, Jason Tatum. So I'm on the same wavelength. And yeah, <laughs> you, I mean, like he he has your just he has wing skills, but he's a gigantic person. So I mean, like it is as simple as that. And if if I was ranking him in this 2023 2022 hierarchy, but with the benefit of hindsight, it would definitely be higher. It would be. Not in the Wemby tier, but in the Scoot tier. I was going to say, it's a yeah. debate of whether it's Wemby, Paolo, Scoot, or Wemby, Scoot, Paolo, if you have hindsight. And if, with hindsight, I'm pro- I'm probably going Paolo over Scoot just because we know. We know. Yeah, and you tie break with tall people. Like, that's that's what it is in the NBA. Like, <laughs> when in doubt, pick the taller guy. It's usually you're not going to get yourself in trouble if you do that. Um, so, yeah, even like... You know, so like Paolo got off to a blazing hot start and pretty much continued hooping throughout the whole season. Um, and even Jabari, who like sucked straight up for most of the year uh, on the weirdo Rockets, which the less we talk about them, the better, unless we're talking about the Knicks, hopefully smacking them. And then like he, he as he got some more reps at the five and some more pick and pops and playing with players who were just better at basketball, even he finally, uh, as, as a young guy, began finding some consistency here late in the season. So um, these guys are all good. And the fact that you have one, two, three, four, five, six guys, at least who are in the mix for that one, two, three spot last year, just really shows you the depth of this class. And, you know, like you can, if you're a draft head, you can find fun and entertainment and like philosophical 
muscle working in any class. But on some level, like best play, the best players will be the most fun players in a lot of ways. So I, I definitely think that's one of the defining characteristics of this class. Um, circling back to the order that you have here, I want to first talk about Cam Whitmore, who I'm pretty sure, though not 100% sure, there's no chance we'll drop to the Knicks. Because if we have 11 and he drops to 11, then either something went horribly wrong or there was a miracle. But guys that I've had as no doubter, top five guys have dropped past 10 literally multiple times before. So like, I shouldn't even phrase it as so unlikely, right? Like I did a Twitter poll right before this out of curiosity, um, like whether, whether Knicks fans would prefer the 11th pick this year or AJ Griffin or the 11th pick this year or Jalen Williams, right? Two guys who they could have had who were in their range, who both of us probably had in our top 10 and have done nothing to encourage me to change that in hindsight because they're both hooping out here, um, Jalen in particular. And it's one of those things where I'm like, yo, maybe, maybe, kids, maybe people are like, well, like he's 18 and sure he can shoot and jump like a pogo stick and he's built like a Mack truck, but he never passes it and he doesn't know what he's doing on defense. And Villanova was not great forever, right? Like, so I don't know, weird shit happens, but Cam, you got him number three. I know you were noodling a little bit over how to rank him, Amen Thompson, who kind of just, Amen Thompson is almost just self-explanatory at this point. He's like, everybody knows, like, if he gets a jumper, RIP everybody. If he doesn't get a jumper, still probably really exceptionally good. And then Jairus Walker is now much more well-known after, you know, Houston's run ended a little short, shorter than they would have liked, but... um they were hooping, right? Or at least, you know, they went deep into the tournament and they weren't scoring a zillion points except for Marcus Sasser, but Jairus was hooping. So, like, what made you eventually uh, move Cam ahead of those two guys who I know you like? Yeah. Um, so, the, with Whitmore, I think you have to start with the ludicrously low amount of assists in the high amount of minutes he played. I think that's where like conversations start and end with him because to me, the athleticism, the gifts, the, the handle, the shot, like I buy all that shit out the wazoo, right? Like I'm, <laughs> I'm good, right? Like we don't, <laughs> that he's good, man. Like that kid is going to bump very large men off of him and will send them flying out of bounds without a problem. Like you see what Hart, you see Grimes, Brunson, Randall, like are the whole Knicks team is fucking jacked. And it makes defenses tired to have to go up against them. To me, Whitmore, and and you know, it's an odd comparison, but like in terms of the role he can fill from day one, it was like a super saiyan Grimes to me, not with the shooting in Super Saiyan mode, but rather just the I'm in the corner. They have to guard me. I'm going to pump fake, get the guy to bite off his front foot, and then actually drive to the rim in 2.2 seconds. Except and, replace 99% of the passes with dunks. <laughs> yeah, it's just like Grimes gets there and dumps it. 
He dumps it to the big. That's what he does. I've asked Tom Thibodeau about that because there was a game where he last did game last game he had two attempts without passing though. He's learning right. So earlier in the season, Thibodeau, <laughs> I asked Thibodeau about how defenses were keying in on the fact that a pass was coming every time there, um, and he blamed it on Grimes. Usually Thibodeau takes the hit for his players. He was like, nah, like he needs to read better at the rim. He's passing every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want him shooting. And now he's doing it. And you're seeing like what the non-athletes have to go through at the rim when they're figuring this shit out. And Cam Whitmore is just like going to get there and then also be above it and have two hands on the ball going through it. It's it's really simple to me uh, what he'll be able to do from the corner, closing out, shooting the open three on the wing, hitting the open three. Um, The step back, you know, like is, is existent. I'd like to see it get more smooth and comfortable um but he likes you know stepping back to that that he takes lab. a lot of tough shots yeah. and i don't mean that like sometimes i mean that in the bad way but for him i actually don't mean that in the bad way like he i don't think people realize people know he's a power wing but i i think because villanova didn't make noise and because the cam hype train kind of just parked itself in the parking lot and just stayed there he took over 10 threes per 100. And uh, for the non-nerds listening, uh, there's a lot of fucking threes. And basically, like, that's how many threes per 100 possessions A.J. Griffin took at Duke. And he's his whole job is fucking be a floor spacer and be a shooter. Yep. Quentin Grimes took, like, 15 per 100 because he was just on, like, another fucking plane of existence in Houston. But double digits is a lot for anybody, much less a power wing. And then on top of that... uh. If you go on hoopmath.com, you can look at how many of the threes, what percentage of the threes were assisted versus unassisted. And usually for wing players or ball handlers, um, anybody who's like a scorer, that'll be like in the, you know, the 70s or the 80s. Like I think Brandon Miller was like 85 or 84. For guys like who are shooting, 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 but mostly not creating, that it'll, you know, it'll be like 90 or something like that. His was 55, which means half of the t- half of his threes were basically him just being like, well, I'm, I don't, we need a bucket. I'm just going to fucking pull it. This is what I'm doing. So if you consider the fact that like most guys shoot better, he's not going to be doing that in the NBA. Just not at least not in the first like three years of his career, just because nobody does that. Um, like literally nobody. So he's going to have higher quality looks. And I think if he hit 37% of very hard threes with like step backs and all this shit with nobody creating for him, then yeah. And like, it's the college. He's floor shoot fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, I buy everything with Whitmore. And that's why to me, that conversation about him starts and ends with what you think he's going to do about that assist rate. Um, I think. <laughs> that you know someone who saw Kyle Neptune offense really really well last year as he was the head coach of Fort yeah, University <laughs> um and then immediately took a bag to leave after saying he wanted to be here anyway um so <laughs> so bitter oh my gosh man yeah, well his understudy his Kenny Payne just got a contract extension for 5 years for having a better year in his first year so i don't like the the results speak it. for themselves, man. Listen, his Kenny wait, wait, Payne. Real quick, what's the what's his name again? I I, I should know. Keith Ergo. Yeah. Keith. Yeah, so yeah. Kyle Neptune's the Nova coach. Keith.
Keith Ergo was yep, he, yep. he he got him from Penn State and he was his like underling for a lot a while. Ergo did all the recruiting for Fordham's best freshman class in 30 years while Neptune got all the credit for being the head coach. And then after that, Neptune's crowning accomplishment was going 500 in the A-10 and then leaving back for for Nova. Ergo stays, gets all, all the players banned behind Ergo. Ergo stays. Rams have their best season in 30 plus years. And Ergo lands a five-year contract extension. It's just you know not everyone can win in the Bronx, so yeah, you gotta Ooh. be gotta be cut out for it. But uh, you know, listen, I think <laughs> when when you see what's going on up there at at, at Villa No Fun, as Fordham students call it, uh, <laughs> um, I think that I I think that you see an offense that is searching for itself. Like it's like they're they're playing games actively looking for an identity. They're like maybe this game will find it. Maybe this game will 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 have an identity, guys. Like what you know that team is so wishy washy. It's why they were in the tournament. Um, and and it's like to me, it's not even all on Neptune. I can make I can have my fun. But until the school starts like accepting that transfers are a thing now, uh, they're gonna struggle a lot because Villanova just doesn't do transfers. So if you're looking at Nova and you're like, "Oh my God, Cam Whitmore can't even win in the college level," how's he? Yeah, tell his AD to like that it's allowed to get players from other schools. That's what everyone else did this year, and it worked. <laughs> like literally, like half of college <laughs> basketball is like in the transfer portal. Yeah. So, you, so if you ignore that, you're just you might as well be playing like four on five, three like, on five, three like, on five. You have <laughs> to, you have Fordham this year. Uh, that one of their most important players on the team, arguably the best player all year was Khalid Moore, who was like a bench player at Georgia tech for four years and who they convinced to come home for his fifth COVID year of eligibility and start instead of being a role player. And he came to the A-10 instead of, you know, a, a bigger league. And he he was like the best player on the team. The transfer portal is everything for these programs nowadays with NIL. And Villanova's just like, we're so great. We don't need it. We're going to do just fine. And then they lose games. And they're like, wow, we can't believe this happened. Who could have seen this coming? Um, so to, to me, it's like they've got to be more proactive about that like yesterday. Um, but in the case that they're not, you can't you can't hold it against you can't hold it fully, you know, against everyone that's there that they didn't do a lot of winning when when they're just not, they don't they don't seem to want to uh, organ, organizationally, if you want to say say it like that, uh, even though they're not a pro team. But you get what I'm saying. So to They'd me, rather go down on their ship. Yeah. So to me, ship. Whitmore, you can't like it's not even switch the ship. It's like get a loner sale because yours ripped like that's what the hell are we doing here they're like the boat's like sideways <laughs> they've got like eight people with oars just like pushing rocks so that the boat can stay mildly upright <laughs> like no we do not need help <laughs> they're waving away the rescue helicopter they're like no no it's like oh my god you guys are gonna sink in eight seconds please accept help um but anyway so like all of that stuff with Cam Whitmore, like yes, you know, maybe didn't he have he didn't have the best teammates to pass to. It's such a low amount of assists that you really have to not. You can't just wishy wash that away. I do think that with NBA spacing, with the knowledge that he's a rookie and not the best player that that team has had in years, Jay Wright's last recruit. Um, I, I think that that he will be 
you know, I think he's going to learn from day one in the NBA that that's how he's going to have good teammates. He wants his teammates to find him. He's going to find them. You know, like he is going to learn quick that the not passing thing just doesn't work and he will adapt to it. He has an NBA build. He has an NBA skill set um, of someone who can be like a fourth best player in a lineup right now, like right now. And then he'll also get better. So to me, I think you just wait on that to come along and, and you, you work with him on reads and all that stuff. Um, but you know, I'll, I'll go down trying to teach a super athlete how to play basketball before I go down trying to teach a good basketball player how to be good in the NBA. You know, like I can't like Johnny Davis was great. And then I realized that maybe it wasn't a good thing that he was making all these tough shots. Like, like, yeah, he could make them, but why did he need to take them? You know? And with Whitmore, it's like, none of those questions exist. Cause he's a Lamborghini of a built human. Like I, I just don't like want to talk about Camborghini. This is the Camborghini. Okay. Like this is the, this is the, uh, like if reddish was like four inches wider and the same height, you know, like I just don't and like a jump higher than over a shoe box. Yeah. I just like, this is the Camborghini. This is that guy. This is, uh, you know, I think reddish still is trying to find in year four or five, like what makes him good. Um, he knows what he's good at, but what makes him good in the NBA? Cam Whitmore can walk in day one and know what makes him good. I don't mean to rag on Reddish or anyone. I just, you know, they have the same first name and nickname. So I rolled with that. It's not that deep. It's not about the Knicks. But um, yeah, I just think that Whitmore is a stud and will develop like one and will play like one and will be one. What about like, because when you're talking about where he is in this class, you know, a man is also a Lamborghini, right? Like he's not as jacked, but he's somehow even more explosive than Cam. And Jairus Walker, obviously he's not anywhere near the athlete that those guys are. But in terms of the, like, know when to pass and know how to make reads end of the spectrum. If, if Cam is on one end and a man is closer to the middle, then Jairus is probably like, the other end of the spectrum. Um, so I, that's one that I, I, I also struggled with. And I have my, my reasons for having cam over a man pretty much just come down to the shooting. Honestly, like I think a man has it all and will be amazing. Even if he's an inconsistent shooter, but I just think people like if, if you read the conversations on Twitter, you think like we alluded to before that, the debate with Cam is like, is the shot real or not? To me, that it's not. Is the shot real or not? It's like, is the shot great or is it very good? That's where I am personally. When with a man, he's just so the he needs to tweak some things to me, and it just might take a while. And one thing that I've kind of learned and been burned on a little bit is like. If you do, if your prospect is a little older, that's that much less time to tweak shooting before it's like winning time and nobody has time for your shit on your first contract, right? Like if you're not doing the thing you're supposed to be doing and your team isn't tanking, like that's minutes that come away. Or maybe you're so good at everything else that you play, but you're 
you can't shoot and your team doesn't win as much because of it. So it's just, that was the tie break for me. And then Walker, I have, uh, I just have, I, he, for him, for me, he's the beginning of like the next group. I don't have him in that same group, but yeah, I would not I, be surprised I, if Walker just made me look stupid about that. <laughs> well, no, I agree. I'm with you there in that he's not in the same group as Whitmore. Ahmed, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Okay, so the way I look at this, the way I look at this is, and maybe maybe you'll understand my board like I better when when you hear this. Like I I always think about access to game breaking tools, mm-hmm. access to game breaking tools. I think that's a great fucking lens to add on when you're looking at yeah. pop. Like if you're if looking at any prospect is a microscope, like you have different standards for different ranges of guys. Right. And like, when you're looking at the Mm -hmm. top, you've got all the lenses on, they need to be, do they have an elite skill or do they care on defense? You know, all that shit like needs to be a yes, kind of. Um, And they always look worse under the lens of like, you know, slide on the the lens of do how, how much access do they have to game breaking skills? And for me, Amen has a shit ton of access, but the the cloudiest path given his shot. Um, mm-hmm. Whitmore has a shit ton of access and a slightly clearer path. And it's a it's you know Amen's the craziest athlete, right? But like Whitmore is still nuts and has the shot and has you know. And, and then Scoot is like holy googly moogly, like this guy is insane. And he has access to all, and then Wemby like is the game breaking tool, so that's not even a question. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, like for me, I think Jarius is where that ends. Like Jarius is where you get from has access to game breaking tools and a lot of it, and a lot of them. Jarius is the first one where I'm like, he might have access to game breaking tools. Uh, there might be an, an explosive athleticism. There might be a punch that's there from IMG days and he got hurt and he was recovering this year and what it like, you know, uh, maybe, but he's also, you're happy with what he is. If he doesn't have that explode, you know, like I think that his instincts are unteachable. Um, Jairus's defensive instincts. And like, that's a reason why, how much shit can you do that? I can't teach anybody is, is a big thing on how you get to the top of my board. And that's why, Cam and Amen are both in the top four. You know, that's why Wemby is number one. Scoot, number two. Like, these guys that can do shit also are number seven. Um, Hendricks, number nine because of his size and potential. Like, I just, and, and you know, the instincts aren't as there as Jairus is, but you still, if you're drafting him that high, you think you can develop them, right? So, like, it's a, those are the kind of like questions I ask myself. Like, can this guy break the game of basketball when he's on the court? Um, how easy will that be for him to do? Uh, what does he need to do to get there? You know, I've, the, the usual questions, but through the lens of game breaking tools, I think you develop a higher standard, which is good because I like seeing how guys stack up to higher standards. Ultimately, that's how your cream of the crop rises, right? But you also have to. Also, I have to remember that these guys are also like a year younger than me or my age. Um, and I do a lot of dumb, stupid shit online. So they they do, too. Uh, you know, you know, it's like 
they are also going to not be perfect. Um, they are not going to be perfect basketball players right now, but looking at them through that lens of like, I need more from you. That's how I separate my top guys. And to me, Jairus is where you get that first break of like, okay, there's a half step down here in terms of what we're looking at. Yeah, that's totally fair. And looking at your board, I kind of see that because Brandon and Asar and Keontae and, and Tay, they all kind of fall into that category. Um, I want to talk about the last three guys real quick on your board, on your top 10, Keontae George, Taylor Hendricks, and Kassan uh, Wallace, because those are guys who I think opinions vary quite a bit. And I think that's the part of the draft where you do get to see more opinions vary. I think most top tens have Jairus, Brandon, Asar, Amen, and Cam in some configuration. And then after that, it gets real, real wild, real fast. And some people are like, I don't trust Keontae because this dude had the worst shot selection ever and he ended the season poorly. And people, some people don't like Tay Hendricks as much because. He shoots and he plays defense, but he doesn't really do much else with the ball, which is definitely something that uh, role players and stars both need to do in the modern NBA. And then Kassan Wallace, some people love Kassan, but he's also a guard who's under 6'5 and didn't appear to be a lead scoring guard, which if you're under 6'5 and not a lead scoring guard, that's a quick way to get out of most people's top tens. Most people. Some people think there's a little more under the hood, as is the tradition with Kentucky guards. Um, he's a hell of a shooter and pretty good handler, too. So they're very well might, might be. But I guess my first question about those three for you, um, say the Knicks get the 11th pick and one of those guys drops to the Knicks. Um, I think Taylor Hendricks, we can talk about him first because I think he's the one who is both top 10 level talent and also something that the Knicks clearly don't have and could use, which is, which is a, you know, a a tall for people who don't know Taylor Hendricks. He, um, he's a power forward size dude. Who's like six, nine. He's a freshman. He's really bouncy. Um, he has long arms. I don't know how long, um, he blocks a lot of shots. He played a lot of center and a lot of power forward. He defended the rim really well, but he also defended everywhere else really well, um, particularly like switching on to smaller players or faster players. He defended stronger players like Jairus Walker really well. So he's just, and then he's a pretty, pretty, really good shooter. Um, He wasn't like out here doing tween step backs or running off screens like Grady Dick, but he took a lot of threes and they weren't all easy threes. Um, He took a lot of threes that I think defy categorization like it like if you looked on a stat sheet it would be like catch and shoot three but actually he was receiving the ball facing the other way and then he caught it turned around and shot it without dribbling which is like not running off the screen not off the dribble just a catch and shoot but in reality like it was a tough shot um and he's tall he's six nine and sometimes he looks taller than six nine to me so um are, are you with the wh- where are you on the like where does he rank on the guy who drops to 11 scale for you? Like, are we talking like all caps on Twitter? If that happened for the Knicks. If Hendricks is there at 11, 
that and they they're picking there at 11 or whatever it is like that's to me regardless of what the fit is in your head at that moment like you know you're moving Toppin you know right like just just take him figure it out if you cannot if you cannot tell Tom Thibodeau to play him from day one if Tibbs works with him and says good god this kid needs to learn a lot and come along a long way um go sign Trey Lyles let him be your backup and when you think Taylor's ready midway through the season or next year make that switch when it needs to be switched but you draft that guy and and the big thing is the Knicks have gone for the big wing they they traded for reddish tried to you know retool him into this uh role player you kind of dude yeah. role role player cam trademark logo that cam hates cam hates that guy and so um cam likes star cam not role player cam and that's understandable because if you think you're a star then you should probably you know be treating yourself like one and keeping yourself to the standard of one that's all fine and dandy but when none of the coaches you play for agree with you, you need to learn how to switch that up. And it's like, to me, there's no switching it up for Hendricks. His natural style of play, his natural defensive role as a four out there, like this is all going to be conducive to him doing what you want him to do. Um, I don't think there's a transition of like, hey, you're not a star. Go do the dirty work. I think Hendricks likes that stuff. I think he relishes the opportunity to go do that for his first NBA team. Go be a, a dirty worker down low. Like this stuff, you know, he played the five in college. He'll play the four in the league. Like he'll do the dirty work. He knows what that takes. He knows, you know, like he's that big wing the Knicks have been missing that I wanted um, them to. Really, for a, I've wanted them for a while now to to go fine because I do think that that can be done through the draft and not with three first round picks for OG Ananobi. Um, you know the fact that I, you and I liked Tari Eason as much as we did. Uh, these guys are good. <laughs> these guys that can come in the league and f things up with their length and their instincts and like. These guys are good, right? And and you could argue that there are two players, two kinds of players in the league today that are most important to have alongside stars. A weak side rim protecting four that can space the floor and a point of attack defending one that can hit from above the break, right? Like whether it's a, a Garland or a, a Drew, whatever it is, like, so someone on offense who can space the floor out above the break for your jumbo, whoever it is, Garland doesn't bring the point of attack defense. That's why you need a two who can, that's why you're going to need, you know, they're going to need Mitchell to do a lot for Garland in, in whatever playoff series they're in. Um, like that you need these things in next to the stars. Right. And like drew holiday is an example of one, um, you know, even if they're not amazing at the point of attack, like, you know, you want to look at guards like, um, Steph as the exception, Kyle Lowry as more the regular, um, and he had that point of attack defense, you know, like th there's just different things to me that you kind of need, 
Um, and and I think that Hendricks is that weak side rim protecting four who can really change shit up in a game just by being down low, by jockeying for position, spacing the floor on offense, also taking a guy off the dribble if he needs to. Um, I also, you know, Hendricks is a little bit more of a, a project than I think Nick's Twitter thinks right now. Um, I, I know, I think it was Stone Hansen that had some notes about this. You guys know report court. Um, but, but it, you know, Hendricks is, is going to be someone who I think is worth that project investment. Um, and yeah, I, I would definitely draft Tari Eason before him. I think Tari's mix of natural instincts with size and skill makes him amazing. Um, but, but I have Hendricks in my top 10 for kind of the same reason I had Tari in my top 10 that year, which is like, this guy is really large and good at basketball now. And he'll, he's athletic enough to figure shit out at the next level. Like this will work out and be a worthwhile bet for any team that could use size at the wing, which is 30 out of 30. Uh, <laughs> so, so yeah, like I loved Tari. I love Taylor. I, I just think the. I like Tari more as a prospect, but I, I do think Taylor's upside just says like, treat me the same because I'm the same kind of bet. Even if they're not the exact same in every area, I think, you know, and Tari averages out a little higher or whatever. It's very similar to me. Like the, the sell on why you're going after one versus the other. Yeah, totally agree. Um, he's moved up pretty steadily all year. Um, his analytics, profile is like off the charts which is very similar to tari um so if you have a big a big dude who can shoot the hell out of the ball is a two-way player with great analytics that's a pretty uh i don't want to say risk-free because very few players are risk-free nobody is risk-free actually and um but for where you're picking like that's high floor high ceiling um similar to tari except he's a lot younger than tari was which makes it a crazy like appealing pick um that uh that just means he has that much more time to improve things and learn the game like you mentioned he's a little bit more of a project than people think i think i agree with that um and then you kind of in your description of the golden goose eggs of what winning teams have you also mentioned the archetype that kind of fits for uh kasan wallace right the the point of attack defending one i wonder why that came up this is not your first rodeo here so he's like you host a <laughs> podcast or something uh, but so like talk about him and Keontae. i mean kasan seems to very squarely fit like everybody who if you haven't watched kasan wallace he the defense is the thing that leaps off of the screen i don't even know where his steal rate ended up but it was like over five early in the year and um he's he tied he tied the single game record at Kentucky for steals in a game, um, which was from like decades ago. So that's the kind of player he is. Yeah, and he's not just a dude who sells out for steals either. He's opportunistic and um, he's pretty smart about it. I mean, Fordham, Fordham. I don't know. No one on here, literally nobody, watches Fordham women's basketball, which is a shame on you because what a fun team. Uh, but they had a guard <laughs> this season named Asia Dingle. Now, she came from Stony Brook and was at, I want to say, Kent State before that, or the Kent 
maybe just can't. Um, but she was she went to Stony Brook and then for her senior year and then this year was her grad year came to Fordham University. Uh, and Asia Dingle, Sues she goes by, has a co-defensive player of the year under her belt from from this season. And, and I could tell you right now the reason for that is because you can't do anything near her without acknowledging she's there. Uh, and that sounds weird, so I'll repeat it. You can't do anything near her without acknowledging she's there. Let's go into specifics. You're the three. You drive from the left wing inside to the elbow. You dribble. You're going to one dribble, punch step, bring your feet together, pop up for the mid-range jumper. Except on your way up, the ball's already gone and halfway down the court because she came from behind snuck it out not a steal not a poke she literally like sham gods it out of your hand and then runs back with it and it's like to me i just see casein in her in the sense that she's the team's leading scorer but you know she does the rim pressure thing but she goes out there she spaces the floor but she's not a shooter shooter she just spaces it you know she'll go three for 11 from three in a game or she'll go three for five right like it's it's different it's varying results but asia's always out there setting the tone on both ends of the court she's leading on the court she's talking to her teammates um and she's out there like you can't do anything near her because she will steal the ball I, I, whether she's guarding you or not you can't go near her on the court it's like revis island where they just don't even throw to that guy like you can't dribble near her and i loved watching her play basketball cuz to do that shit you have to really love what you're doing you don't just Oh, I forgot to mention. She's the point guard. She's like five, five. She's like five foot five. Smallest player on every court. Leading scorer in the A10, 19 points a game. So like to me, she's just a fucking dog. And that's what I see in Kaysen is that desire to know despite size disadvantage, despite not having the burst, the talent, whatever it is of everyone else out there, he'll leave the court that day, the best player of the day, because he brought it on both ends. He brought it on defense when no one else was. He was getting turnovers left and right. He he ended up getting five steals that game, and you only noticed two of them. He's that kind of guy where like he's everywhere. He's a, he's everything, everywhere, all at once. You know, is all over the place. Rock with googly eyes. Uh, he's just great. He's great. Before we continue this discussion, though, uh, NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt-in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back. Own the app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Yeah, man. Uh, he's, I guess, where I have to maybe go back and watch some tape is like the degree of there's a he, he's tough for me. Combo guards are my weakness. I just I just all consistently fuck them up for a variety of reasons. And I what makes him appealing to me as a prospect is um there's a lot of sign he, he was never like viewed as a big scoring guard prospect like Keontae, for example who uh 
was very inefficient, but like he wasn't afraid to put him up, and he was clearly like the score one of the main scoring options on Baylor. But Gasson Wallace shoots well from everywhere, and it's not just shots that are created by other people. Like he can get into pretty much his pull up, whatever, right? Because in, in college, especially if a big gets you a screen, you're probably going to get free a little bit. And if he's the kind of dude who just make he he makes the right reads and he sees the game, so like. He's happy to pass it off to somebody if he goes around a screen and somebody else helps. But if they leave him, if the center drops, for example, then he'll just take a pull-up. I think he was over 50% on pull-up mid-range shots, which is crazy, crazy high. Um, even though he's a slender guard and he's 6'4", 6'3", he finishes really well. He can use both hands and his arms are really long. Um, so even though he's below the rim, his arms be like at the rim. <laughs> And uh, so I, I definitely think he has some sneak scoring ability and he can shoot the shit out of the ball. So um, if you really think he's a game-breaking type of defender, um, particularly both not just on ball, but also off ball, because um, a lot of guys are really good at one, but not really good at the other. Um, you know, Mikal Bridges and Devin Vassal were two of my favorite prospects of the last couple of years, but Mikal was mostly a problem on ball and off ball he was like fine and Vassell was really great off ball but on ball he was fine and you know Halliburton Tyrese Halliburton I'm just picking random guards here but like Tyrese Halliburton was a very good defensive prospect wholly because of his off ball skills and that has continued in the NBA but his on ball defense is terrible right so like it it is really important to be a we don't really talk about what a balanced defender looks like that's not something people talk about right it's either like oh you're good at defense or you're bad at defense when in reality you can be good at some kinds of defense and terrible at other kinds of defense and when you're a guard or a wing that actually matters a lot right like you can be a great point of attack cam reddish is actually a great example he's a pretty good point of attack defender but he's terrible at defending the pick and roll and he's terrible off ball and you're going to spend a lot more time off ball and defending pick and rolls than you are going to be on ball for the most part, which is why he's never actually been that impactful a defender, despite his really good, like one-on-one, you know, king of the court situation type defense. So um, that might be, maybe that's the, maybe I got to fucking move this guy up. I don't know. That might be, that might be it combined with the, the Kentucky bump that, you know, is lurking. He's going to get some juice once he gets to the league. I don't know if I'll bump him to top 10, but um to bring it back to the Knicks, I guess. I was going to say, what, what, when you say bump, what do you mean? Because I feel like you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. You got him at twelve. You've got do him I? at twelve. So it's not. It's you're, you're not like super far off from me. So in my board, the left to right order. I I should have clarified this. The left to right order doesn't matter. Um, the up and down matters. That's what I meant right, by right. my order. So like. He oh, so go- then, yeah, so he's 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. He's anywhere from 12 to 17 for you then. Yeah, and that's, um, yeah, yeah, and that and that's pretty much, I I, re- I did move him up, right? Because I had him in the row before that. Um, now nah, he's before with, I he's with Nick, he's with Nick, Derek, Dick, Jet, Max. Yeah, I, I'm pulling it up just now uh, so I can be professional here. And, yeah, and I, got, I, was gonna, I got your board out. <laughs> yeah, you know my board better than I know my board. No, and but he's because because of the combo of just shooting and 
well round, not just well rounded, but like exceptional, exceptional and exceptional defense in different ways. That's like a pretty easy player. And then, you know, when you think of how many teams have amazing lead stars who are not the smallest player on the court, he slots in so easily next to all of those guys that like, it's the same reason I ended up really high on deuce in that year. Um, except, uh, Kassan is more polished than has probably, um, not probably, he is a better shooter. And that's not because I think deuce is a bad shooter. I thought he was a good shooting prospect, but Kassan is like a very good shooting prospect. So, um, I think he's just the rare combo guard who's kind of boring to me, which is why I'm just like kind of like Meh, when I'm talking about him. But in reality, he's just like clinically great. Um, but here's a here's a question here's a question for you, and it dovetails not into the Knicks situation, but also just into draft philosophy in general. You know, take him and Keontae, two guys who are in your top ten. If if the Knicks can get a top ten talent outside of the top ten. There's a pretty good argument, like you, almost like you said with Taylor Hendricks, where it's just like, f- just fucking get it. Like, even if you can't figure out how to iron out the playing time or the fit on year one with Tibbs, or they need to, you know, brush up their fundamentals or whatever before they earn his trust, like that shit could all be true. And maybe they're impactful in the second year. But in my head, there's definitely always a question of like, how far can you push that right before you actually start to impact their development? Like, I don't think every player is destined to be who they end up, if that makes sense. And I, I'm a firm believer that you need real minutes to develop or else you're in trouble. Um, And even G league minutes is not necessarily the same as NBA minutes. So like if a team like the Knicks were to have these guys, there's definitely a fine line of, Pick them; they're the best talent. But you got all these dudes on the team, and maybe, maybe you, uh, what's the word, consolidate, and that frees up the time, and the front office solves this problem for you. But where, where are you in terms of that as a concern? Not necessarily with the Knicks, but just in general, like guys needing to play and teams being really good, so playing time can be kind of hard to find. <laughs> yeah, I think um, this stuff all comes and goes in waves to me, like. Soon there will be four teams that are actively just playing development lineups, right? Like I, I think right now we're at one in Houston. Like I think we're at one team where everyone is like, okay, or Detroit counts too, right? Yeah, doing, I would say Houston and Detroit, and then Detroit's doing the Wiseman Duran shit. You know, I whatever. guess the Spurs, the Spurs maybe. Like now that they don't have Pirtle. Oh my God! Yeah, I guess right. Who's the vet? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. All right. But but, but, but even so with those three teams, like I think that's actually a low number. Like I yeah, think that's in what I'm most saying. years. So yeah. We'll yeah, get yeah. to we'll get back to seven, six, whatever the fuck. Okay. We'll get, we'll get back. Like I think this comes and goes in waves. I think um, you know, you just see teams value G League minutes. Like the Knicks straight up drafted a guy and sent him to the G League for a full year, like he was a like he was a, jeez, like like a bond, right? Like they were like, <laughs> like they were like, all right, we're gonna put this, we're gonna spend yes, all go this study money. abroad or white plans. Yeah, <laughs> go study abroad for a year and come back a better student. Like that was fascinating to me that they leaned into that because I've been saying for years that teams should lean into the G League. 
That's why I think the Knicks could be the first team really of this era of the G League to draft a guy in the lottery and straight up be like, he's not playing a minute because we're too good. Like, say it and send him to Westchester um, because it would make sense for them. And it would, it's something that more teams should do. I think just because we've unrestricted draft age to, to a point where you can get your hands on the guys earlier and the fact that more reps equals more experience, I think people are like, oh, well, uh, if you combine those two things, then you'll develop everybody and we'll all smile and hold hands, right? And it's like, they're like, guys need specific reps. Guys need certain kinds of reps. Guys need reps at certain speeds. Guys, like, there's so much more than just throw them the fuck out there. For all the people that just wanted peop- young players to play for the Knicks, like, there's a difference between quickly playing 19 minutes a game when he should be playing 25 and having wanted and wanting quickly to get 33 minutes. Like Kevin Knox was running around doing whatever the fuck he wanted for a whole year. He got a rookie of the month out of it, you know, <laughs> whoop the fuck, right? Like you need to have specific development, a, a, a purposeful, intentional development. And, and I, and I think that, That'll never be lost. And so as you see teams right now, you know, not really fitting in the young guys as much or like not feeling the pressure to, um, I think it's because they're just trusting the cream of the crop to rise to the top uh, in behind the scenes in their own developmental systems. Um, and that's what I think the, the ripple effect will be is teams investing more in their developmental teams. And then as a result of that, we'll get back to, that's kind of like the cycle, right? Like as teams invest more in development teams, then they'll be playing their young guys more. Then they play their young guys more and they realize that product looks like shit. So they play more vets Then they play too many vets. So then they invest in their development team more. Like that's kind of the whole cycle. And I think we're just where we're at right now is the play too many vets. Um, it's interesting because I feel like, I mean, for the Knicks, it, it's one of those situations where we've been screaming for them to play young players more, and now they are. They're still pretty young, even though they're really competitive. And around the league, teams have been playing. You, you're seeing some teams. I guess teams are. In, it depends on the team, almost on like where you are in that cycle. And it's both a gift and a curse in a little bit, right? Like you look. I'm just picking a couple of good teams at random, like Memphis and the Kings. Memphis has constantly given over the last two three years minutes to to young players and rookies and not just like old rookies like des bain but like and not just top five picks like jaron jackson but like zaire williams was a starter at age 20 on a on a very good team warts and all and then you got keegan who's a bit of an older rookie of course but he's playing big minutes for a top seed and um you, can you see i that can a, i fire off can i fire off my key yeah. on here that i tweeted i Go said for it. I said, if the cockamamie, oh boy, <laughs> wishy-washy and disingenuous logic that was employed when we selected the rookie of the year last year was employed this year, Keegan Murray's your rookie of the year. Um, not Jalen Williams, not Paolo, not these guys that the writers are trying to sell you on as dark horses. Keegan Murray. Who was rookie of the year last year? I don't even fucking. Who? Scotty Barnes. 
That was such a weird fucking because he had because he because he <laughs> finished the last twenty games of the season as the best rookie of the three by the raw counting stats. So they were like, "Holy shit! Stop the presses!" That mo that award's not going to either two of the best rookies. And like to me, Paolo and J Dub have been the two best rookies, right? But the logic that was used last year was even if you're the third best rookie, if you're on the best team contributing the most to the best team, then you're the rookie of the year. And that's Keegan Murray with no doubt. But since that's not how the award works, I have him in number three with Jalen Williams, number two with, you know, who and number one, Mr. Boncaro, who we spoke about a bit earlier. Um, and for me last year, it was Cade Mobley Scotty. Uh, but they gave the award to Scotty, and I think they're doing the same thing this year where they're like, everyone's writing about Jalen Williams and Keegan Murray in a last-ditch effort to like make this an interesting race so there's more to write about. It's just not a it's not a race. The race is over. The race yeah. was won. <laughs> now now guys are competing for second, you know, like go fight for silver type shit. And you and you know it's about late counting stats and shit because even in those arguments, like you're hearing J Dub when he's been getting minutes and and uh and all that, but you don't hear like well, I mean Walker Kessler just scored like 30 the other day, but most games his stat line is like four, eight, and two. And he played really fucking good, but because the counting stats are shit, these fucking voters don't give a shit because they don't know hoop. So I agree. It's very weird. This is why I choose not to invest in that. I literally like, like memory hold that shit. I was like, who, what Scotty, what? And then it all came fucking flushing back to me. Like, oh yeah, that happened for real. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so uh, back to the guards. Uh, Kassan and Keontae, like, I, I really like what you were saying about the cycle of teams or the whole league, really, um, kind of figuring out ways to develop. And I never thought of it until now, but there's some parallels to kind of what happened over the last seven years in baseball. Um, there, like, there was a point where there were teams that were clearly ahead in terms of developmental resources and, that's more or less evened out now. And you see the same cycle in baseball all the time. Um, like Moneyball, mo- money, I was gonna say Moneyball, Moneyball and all that shit happened. And there was like an advantage for a couple of teams. And then like the entire team, the entire league became like, okay, we get it. Guys who can hit a home run, walk or strike out can still be valuable, even if they don't hit for average, blah, blah, blah. And then the league just moved forward with that and analytics developed further and the technology improved and that, that did not become the standard bearer for what made a good analytical foundation for a baseball team. And some teams didn't move on from that. So those teams were stuck for a while. And then in the Yankees were one of those teams who were stuck for a while. And uh, then they caught up and did what they do, which is sink millions of dollars into their developmental and analytical teams and shore it up. And that paid dividends greatly. And, uh, and now we're at the point where most teams are, are pretty much where the Yankees are, albeit with less money in terms of the technology that they have and the tracking and the data that's available. And with the NBA, I I think you're right. I don't think, I think there's some unexplored usage of G league teams that is on the table for a lot of these guys. And there's also um, definitely some unexplored uh, analytical advantages 
because we know straight up some teams still don't like every team might have a couple of analytical dudes on the payroll, but they don't all give a shit just because they got them on the payroll. And like, you could see that shit on the court. You don't need to be a nerd about it to realize who is and isn't ahead of the curve in that respect. And next year, all the arenas are getting like the Hawkeye systems installed for like super duper crazy tracking data. So it's going to, that gap is, has the potential to actually widen. And you know, this is all going to contribute to like, there's a lot of good players and some teams may not realize that they can utilize these young players who are good to win now. Right. Like, like what happened to Tibbs for a while. And then Tibbs probably with the help of our analytics team finally turned over a new leaf and look probably, where we are. Probably is doing a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny, but that, uh... that probably, that probably is like the, the P in pterodactyl. Like it is the most useless <laughs> fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about the Knicks screams. Nerds have a say. Every, well, I'll tell you right now, the Knicks, I've been told out of baseball, football, uh, basketball, and hockey. I'm not talking about the NBA. I'm not talking about out of the NBA and the G. You're talking about sports. I'm talking about fucking sports are the, the most by the dollar analytically invested team out of any of them. This is what I've been told. So that makes sense if you think about it, because like. Well, the Leon, in, in Leon of- came in from day one and told Dolan that they need to take the uncapped areas of the NBA and literally just flush them with money. Like, you know, like like saline spray. That's what the Yankees did. That's what Sa- the Yankees did. Yep. Saline where you just get up in your shit and just flush. Like, you're just shooting water up your nose. They got in there with money, with $100 bills. And they were just like... <laughs> <laughs> Every, everywhere because coaching assistant coaching associate head coaching development the scouting staff. this Knicks the, scouts are scouting. everywhere dude ball boys <laughs> like i i the Knicks don't have like ball boys like they don't have like local you know what i mean like they have like guys like trainers like they, they it's, you can no longer like come off the street and be a ball boy for the team anymore like i'm, I'm pretty sure everyone on the court with them is like a decade plus of coaching experience. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, everyone they have doing it, their job is really good at it. I want to say Scott King, the video analyst may not have um, 10 plus years experience. And that's the only guy I can think of. And he there might, go. he might. It's a, uh, it's abundantly clear and guys like key and Kassan and Tay Hendricks. Like, I mean, I actually have a piece coming out. I don't know when it's going to drop, but it touches on it goes through like all of the Knicks draft picks that we've had under this front office and all of the confirm all of the guys who we've had reported interest in um, and tries to kind of suss out what are the commonalities. And, and one of them is like a all, all these dudes draft picks or not are pretty much great analytically. Um, I actually think depending on what measure of great depending on how you define great analytically uh the results may change but like to pick one metric um box plus minus i think the lowest guy the lowest two players of all the guys who we've had reported interest in over the leon rose era um that in terms of box plus minus are jalen williams ironically enough and tyrese maxi um whose bpms were like around four on basketball reference. Um, so if you use another site, it might be a little different. And both of those guys had other advanced stats that were 
really good. Like Jalen Williams, you know, his stat, his statistical profile aside from box plus minus was pretty much flawless. It was like 60 plus true shooting and 40% from three and great assist turnover rebounds and whatever, yep, whatever. Yep. Yep. And Maxi is kind of his own category. Cause that was just a weird ass Kentucky team, but um, it, it's, it's definitely something they care a lot about. And uh, if one of these guards, Kassan or, or Keontae checks a lot of these boxes for them, um, then, you know, I could very well see them saying, we got a lot of guards, but we're going to consolidate for a star eventually. And if this guy is left to pick up the minutes, then that would be fucking fantastic, right? Like, they probably plan to do a star deal of some sort in the next two years, give or take. And either these guys can be a part of that deal or they can increase their role once the deal is complete. So uh, even though it can be a little unfun to be like, oh, is he going to take minutes from Deuce or IQ and Jalen? And like, those are all valid concerns, but much more valid for the first, for the first year than beyond that. Um, so I'm not telling Knicks fans to worry if we pick a guard, but I see a lot of people on the internet who are like, if they draft somebody who's under six foot five, I'm going to slap myself in the face or whatever. And it's just like, it's not ideal, but if it's the best player, you should probably still do it. Cause like, what are we like to just pick random examples? Like you're going to pass on Matherin or Halliburton or whoever, because they're not a wing. Like, that doesn't make sense, right? Like, if a guy's good, you'll probably, in retrospect, be like, damn, I wish we took that really good 6 foot 4 player instead of ruling them out. So uh, that's kind of how I see it with Keontae and Kassan Wallace. Like, they're way different types of guards, but they can both do a lot of those things that you like to see from your one spot, whether it's the defense or, you know, being physical. They're, a key is not the defender Kassan is, but he's a physical dude in the same in the same way. He's like a burlier guard, and he's not afraid to bump dudes on both ends and, and all that shit. So, um, so I could totally see it. Um, I want to move to a different topic outside of the top 10, because uh, I don't want to keep you here forever as much as I would love to. And that is some of the other players not in the top 10 who... I know you're interested in and who other folks are interested in. And I want to start with two wings. And then after that, I want to talk about two shooters. So the two wings are uh, Max Lewis from Pepperdine and Jet Howard from Michigan. These guys are players who I am high on. You mentioned it before, but they're like right outside the category of really fucking good prospects for me um i go back and forth on these fucking guys too and the reason is even though they have the physical profiles that i like which is six eight six nine skilled with the ball right both can handle both can shoot um although i would say jet's probably a little crispier handle and a little crispier of a shooter but max is way more athletic and i think a little bigger um so they both have really good if not game-breaking skills, just very impactful top-selling point skills, like your your elevator pitch scales. But I just go back and forth on what I think of their flags. Um, kind of like, you know, we talked about it with Whitmore, where it, with him, it's, it's one clear thing. It's the passing and the offensive field. There's just one flag, and once you 
figure out how you feel about that, then you figured out how you feel about Cam Whitmore for the most part. But with these guys, it, it, a couple of things. So where are you at on, on those two dudes? Like what, to me, if we're picking and those top 10 guys you mentioned aren't available and these guys, like we'd be happy, we'd be lucky to have either of these guys. But even if we do pick them, like what's the voice in the back of your head worried about? Or is that just like me and my anxiety? The defense. The defense. Okay. <laughs> the defense. Um, if, if I were the Knicks and Max and Jet, who are currently 14 and 15, respectively, on my board, um, were on the board, I would go with Max. And it's not because I've got him a hair above Jet, regardless. Uh, it's because I think he's the higher upside player. Um, I believe more in his defense. I believe more in his, like offensive creation i think jet is like his handles awesome for his size at six seven and then like everything else concerns you <laughs> you know it's like mm. he, he can shoot the shit out of the rock his handles awesome for his size at six seven and then everything else is like whoa are we sure he's good at this that's okay he's like fucking 19 <laughs> you, you know what i mean right. also <laughs> i was not a cole anthony guy and he never left my top 20 ever ever because if you have a dad who is an NBA player, especially a, a, a cup of coffee kind of NBA player over a star, um, look at you know Booker, the grind. Look at Booker. <laughs> look at Nance. Look at Thompson. Devin Booker's dad. Oh shit, you're right. Uh -huh. yeah. Look at the guys with dads who got cups of coffee in the NBA, and they're all fucking good. It's all like MLB coaches who are all stars who are all catchers. <laughs> all of them are good. The coaches, like, coaches' son, I buy it, um, but it doesn't mean everything, right? But but the son of a cup of coffee NBA dad for some reason is like this unstoppable formula. <laughs> um, I'm gonna you can, yo, I'm gonna fuck around when I'm bored in this draft cycle and do the analysis I list statistically because because this is good stuff right the, here. The Montes, right? Yeah, but his dad wasn't a cup of call. He was his dad was really good, but like you know. But when he came over, it was like the end of his career and all that. Winston Garland played in the NBA. Tito Horford played in the NBA. Um, Kobe, <laughs> yeah, Mr. Bryant. Uh, you know there was. Uh, you know I'm trying to think. Jabari Smith Senior. Um. This is so funny. Like <laughs> this shit's this shit is real, yo. This shit I'm telling you. Um you could even expand that shit these days to the WNBA with like Jaden Ivy, right? Yeah, and and <laughs> wait wait on DeJuan's son or Milt's grandson to come through. Um Yeah, next year. Right? So it's like, yo, this shit is real to me. And I think that Oh, Adrian Griffin. Um, but I, I think that De uh, Del Curry, sorry, don't know how I forgot him. Um, Greg Anthony, Manute Bull, Ron Brewer, son, Ronnie Brewer, Rick Brunson, Jalen Brunson. How the fuck did I forget him? So it's like, if your dad was a mediocre NBA player, you're going to be a stud. That's I my think favorite. Isaiah Hartenstein's dad also, right? Didn't that Florian? I know he played in Europe, but I'm pretty sure he had like a cup of coffee. Florian Hartenstein, former professional basketball player, but no NBA. Not NBA. Damn, no. my bad, Florian. You, you, no Oregon. Disrespect. Yeah, then Germany. <laughs> but like, yeah, man. So I really think that that shit is real. And so with Jet, like, I buy the hell out of him sticking. That's the formula to me. 
cup of coffee, NBA dad, or better equals you're sticking. But it doesn't guarantee anything. With Max, I see the upsides upside. Like, I see him being, I don't know. Like, let me just be irreverent and stupid here so that we can rein it in. Like, Trey Murphy with the handle. Uh, baby Brandon Ingram. You know, <laughs> you know, like, like what, whatever it is, um, that upside exists for me. Where Jet, I think, is so hamstrung by the non-existent defense. It's like, how much impact can this guy have? Now, I would want to buy Jets defense because of his background. But to me, it's like if he can't def- try in college, like will he when he gets to the – I don't know. So I, I hate betting against guys to try on defense in the NBA. But like you have to kind of guess where you're going to get effort from and not. And like it's not a question mark with Case and Wallace. You know? So like that's why he's over guys like Nick Smith and Ant Black to me. I, I would take Case in before either of those two. Um, I had the opportunity to speak with the coach who game planned for and played against Ant Black this year. He was like, yeah, he's really cool. What's awesome is that you just don't have to guard him outside the three-point line at all, ever. Um, and that's what we did. And and, and he, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so it's like, yeah, like, <laughs> no, no matter what, Ant Black went one for six from three in the game against that coach, by the way. So, um, yeah. And, <laughs> and it's like, to me, with Kaysen, you're getting a guy who wants it on both ends and who will do what it takes to get it on both ends. I think doing that on defense says a lot about what you can figure out on offense, your work ethic, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not out on Max's defense. I'm a believer. They were a weird team. They, they played like a bunch of zone defense because they were just, I fucking hate evaluating zone prospects because it's like, I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I'm like, the rest of the whole team, the team as a whole is probably butt on defense if they're playing zone. And is this player, in this case, Max, like kind of like lackadaisical because it's zone and generally young players don't know how to play zone? Or is it because he's just this is his attitude towards defense? Because people forget zone is just like any other defense, but most guys are playing man to man their whole life or not playing any real fucking defense in high school. And then you got to execute zone principles versus like teams with upper class classmen and shit who know how to exploit that. Then like, RIP, dude. Like this is why the team the you know zone is supposed to be a curveball and not the fastball unless you're fucking old time Syracuse or whatever. So I don't know what the fuck yeah. to do. Like Max, like he has instances where he gets at it on defense, and I'm like, this is fucking great. And then he has times where he's just in the zone, kind of just floating, and I'm like. All right, this sucks because I wish he would do the other thing where he's good instead of just doing this thing where he's just standing around. <laughs> yeah, I think that I think Max has the potential to go get after it on that end. I, I see Jet being fine on that end. I don't see him being terrible or awful mm-hmm. or unplayable, but do I see him being someone who goes and gets after it? Like for me, this this lottery shit is all about what you might be able to get. Like what you might it's it. I know there are people who see it the other way around. What role can you play day one? How well can you play it? Okay, you're on the team. Let's grow from there. Like, for me, it's all about you can go get vets to do whatever the fuck you want. Like, when there are people that I have, I'll pull up the tweets for you right now because I love my Dominican son, Chris Duarte, who's older than me, but is still my son. And I actively said on Twitter, do not draft him if that's what you want from a lottery pick. Sign Malik Monk for $8 million a year. 
then he took a minimum. And guess what he signed for in Sacramento? Fucking eight a year on the dot. It's like, just go do that shit instead of wasting a lot. Use the lottery. These are swings. These are bites at the apple. You got a rotisserie chicken that moves super slowly. And there's like one really juicy part of it. And you're like, the skin's not even that bad, yo. I'll just rip off a little. Like, no, you wait and you take the biggest, juiciest bite you can get. So I'm going to stop you mid-chicken metaphor because I actually think it's important to highlight. I I actually think this is how the Knicks approach it. And I don't – I think they approach it this way because they're confident. I said this after we traded out of the last draft, and it's – I'm not too my own horn, but it looks – more correct in hindsight because we're actually good now but like my whole shtick was like this kind of stinks as a draft person because i looked at all these guys and wanted them on the knicks but like what they're probably thinking is like we can't somebody needs to be really good to get playing time over these young kids we have that we really like and it was kind of a annoying thing to write back then because the young kids who the front office clearly really liked didn't get to play that much but now they do, and they're really fucking good, and everybody agrees, even Coach Tibbs. So it's that's what this team is is facing, right? Like there, there's not going to be many developmental minutes unless it's the slot vacated by Obi. That's the one part of the roster that actually has contribute now developmental minutes. And even then, like you said, they might just be like, "Nah, fuck that. We're gonna sign Trey Lyles because we need, we don't want margin for error. We're trying to win, and he can develop in Westchester or whatever." So like the Knicks probably viewed someone like Johnny Davis who uh who a lot of us liked as like oh this is a nice double but we're not we're not in the draft for doubles in this situation we're in it for triples and home runs and if this guy isn't exciting enough to make west run around screaming shirtless then we're not th- this is not our cup of tea right and then you know the wizards took Johnny and fucked up his shot which is a whole nother podcast and I don't want to talk about it cuz it makes me mad but I still believe in you Johnny He's hooping better lately. Um, I don't know if the shot is better, but the less we say about that, the, the better. A- anyway, I think that's how they approach it. And it's, it, it's you know, everybody will draw that line in a different place, right? Like for you and me and many others, there's a couple of players like Tari or Jalen Williams who to us, they were in front of the line. They were like, okay, you're not just drafting them to hit a double. Like this is actually a home run swing. And it's like a meatball down the middle of the plate. Like, well, the, the take- Knicks, the Knicks saw Tari as a swing too, because I had Mark Berman on draft class and I asked him knowing the Knicks have been looking for a big wing forever. I said, if Tari Eason and Johnny Davis are both there at 11, who is the pick? And he said it. He didn't just say Johnny Davis. He said they would go with a safer bet like Davis than than a project like Tari. And and I didn't think Tari was a project. And as he hits contested threes against the New York Knicks as we're doing this pod. People think, con- conflate unpolished with project and those are not the same. Yeah. Project is like Usman. Right. That's a project. Tari was a prospect. <laughs> you know, just because he didn't come in the league an NBA player doesn't mean he's a project. There's something in the middle, prospect, draft, prospect. And he's one of the best players on Houston. If they played him more, they would win more, but that's not their goal, so they're not playing more. I 
Okay, I'm just gonna say he's the best player on Houston. <laughs> he might be. He he just... is the best player on Houston right now today. He is, and 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 to me, him and J Dub, I had them what ten and eleven. You know, like to, mm-hmm. I I loved those guys, and I was too low on them. I should have had them six and seven. Damn it! <laughs> like like you know, I I I uh I, whatever. They're great to me. Taylor Hendricks is this year's Tari where everyone's like, well, he's a project. No, he's not. He can be good. He just won't be great from day one. Um, That's why I think a team like the Knicks could draft him and send him to Westchester for half the year. And it wouldn't be the end of the world. But like, it's, it's also why I think they could like, you know, the Knicks, the Knicks give their kids narrow roles, which is both frustrating and helpful in its own way. There are times where we wish they expanded the roles faster right like with quickly being the number one case um quentin grimes is quickly approaching that where it's like all right dude you can we can take the training wheels off now he can do other stuff right like he doesn't have to just only drive from the corner um and uh and these guys uh like tay hendrix if he's in the ob role where it's like okay we're gonna give you training wheels just all you have to do is play defense rebound hit these corner threes relocate hit those threes and occasionally get an offensive rebound and a dunk. He would be fucking awesome at that. Even though he still probably would get confused by some pick and roll coverages because he's a 19 year old, and uh, you know it, he'd be similar to Obi in that way. In that Obi sometimes doesn't read what's happening and he strays too far or too close, and he, he's still kind of figuring out where to push and pull in that sense. But like he could play an hour old day one, and that's not that's not because he's some polished super veteran like presence. It's because if you give a rookie an arrow roll, it makes it easier for them to do it. Like that's just how coaching works. Um, so I could totally see it. Um, Max and Jet, ah, man. I, at first, I spent the the early part of the season when those two were killing it, thinking there was just no shot for us to get that because I thought we'd be picking in the twenties and they'd be in the lottery, and they might be in the lottery, but our pick might just be that high from Dallas. Thankfully, um, I want to go to. Uh, two other dudes to close us out, and that's Grady Dick and Jordan Hawkins. Two, arguably, there's so many good shooters in this class, but there's very strong arguments that those are the two best shooters. I was gonna say <laughs> those are the, the the two of them them ones that it's like, oh, yes, he can shoot definitely. Yeah, yeah. It's just you you just assume like. It's going in like it. it, it I I just be shocked when it doesn't go in. It's they're like that. The other guy who's like that is my son Bryce. But I'm also like, he's my irrational love affair player for for this class. So let's put him aside for now and focus on these two dudes. Zach um, Blatter told me like a month ago he was doing a graphic for something and he was like, <laughs> "Yo, I swear, like the press is in love with this guy Bryce Sensabaugh. Who is this?" And I was like, "You gotta check him out, man. He's cool, but." I'm not. I'm not with Prez on being that in love with him, but he's very cool. He's he's the he's the shot maker of this draft class. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Every yeah. year, there's two or three guys who I just tweet about with such force that I bring half of Nick's Twitter with me just just because they have no one else to look to. Now they have you and your pod, but I had that shit cornered for a minute, so. Sharif, yeah, you took you took Grant the Spencer, you took the Spencer Perlman role of. 
I like this guy, so now everyone else does. <laughs> I, I, I was on Nick's film school. I had Macri, I had Macri on the Grant Riller wagon, and and I haven't been invited back since. Why you think that is, bro? <laughs> He's like, nah, I'm getting only professionals from now on, man. You, you, that was that was too bad of a strikeout. That was an over ten night, which I I'm not listen, even mad at. I listen to that pod, man. I remember that pod, man. I won't get in. I, I've talked on other pods about what I've learned from the Grant Riller miss. Um, and there was definitely some lessons learned, and I'll leave it at that. But these two guys, Hawkins and Grady, are exceptional shooters, and one is taller, one and is then, shorter. And I was going to say, they're, they're neither is 5'10". So <laughs> yeah, Riller, neither Riller is, and Cooper territory is out the question here for us. Yeah, like. neither is 5'10", neither plays in a WAC conference, and neither thinks that... Neither, both of them have irrational confidence. I'll put it... Not even irrational. Both of them just have insane confidence. If you want to know... How Grady Miller rolls mental. I mean, Grady Miller, Grady Dick rolls. Just check out his Instagram. It is the funniest. He's this is a person. This is a human who has the utmost belief in himself. All his posts are fucking hilarious. Teenager taking swaggy pics kind of shit. It's probably the kind of shit you would do if you had a burner and someone gave and you knew you had like a million dollars coming down the pipeline. It's hilarious. And Jordan Hawkins. I mean, you see, yeah. Yeah, that's like a tame Grady Dick fucking <laughs> post for Instagram. And Jordan Hawkins is a different kind of confidence. You just he's just a buzzsaw on the court. He has unlimited motor. And when he has it going, it, it's just at the college level, it's just nobody's running with him. Like he's he's in better shape than whoever he's playing. Yeah, look at this man, man. He's he's, he's a in, legend. He's in a robe in front of a like a fireplace. With what looks like a luxury cat, I, I, that's not a normal cat. That's a fucking ten thousand dollar. That's a super villain cat, bro. Right? That's a Wilson Fisk ass cat, man. If if I had to rank, like which prospects it would be the most epic movie for them to be a New York Nick, he would easily or no, Wemby would always be number one. But like after that, Grady clears everyone easy. Well, well easy. Grady, like when he beat Indiana. At home, it wasn't even on the road. He posted, "Who's your daddy?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this guy is insane. <laughs> like, I just, yeah, it would. Love- he would. He would literally become like. He might. It might be if he was on the Knicks. It might be like an Icarus situation. He might fly too close to the sun and like hop on a coke addiction by like twenty one and just flame out. Like it. it what? He, <laughs> He he would just be too lit. <laughs> you can't rule it out, bro. <laughs> how did we? <laughs> how did we get here? How did? When did Grady Dick become Joakim Noah? <laughs> I'm just saying they got the they got very similar energy, except Noah is a little bit more of that, you know, that that spiritual. Shout out Joe Noah, my high school classmate, Joe Noah. Um, he was actually what? you didn't know that. Yeah, dude, he did his PG year at, at where I went to high school in Jersey. Oh my god! After he was in poly prep in New York, he went That's to crazy. He went to high school in Jersey, and we won the state championship with him. Wow! Yeah, dude, he was I, a fucking I have, I have a friend that like was like around with him in Gainesville, but I mean, I didn't know him like that. I was younger than him, so right, it's right. Not, I mean, we were like. It's so funny to like watch. Like we play pickup and shit like that, and he was joking Noah. So it was exactly how you imagine it. He it would just 
be there to just hang out because he was bored and he would just be like shooting knuckleball threes and they'd just all go in. <laughs> and then with that <laughs> Yeah, with his weird shot. And then on the court for the actual games, it was just like Florida. He was an electric, unlimited motor, just unstoppable, like blank God, just force of nature. Anyway, yeah. Um Grady Hawkins, confidence shooters. Critically, Grady Dick is six foot eight, six foot nine, maybe. He's pretty tall. Jordan Hawkins, only six five, um, which is fine for a guard, okay for a shooting guard, maybe even a little below average. Um, he's not none of them are both of them are very skinny. Um they're both in incredible shape, but they're just both very skinny. Um so both of them could end up putting on could stand to put on a little more strength. Um I think there's some varied opinions on I think Grady is in everybody's lottery for the most part. Um there's a couple of people I know who have him outside the lottery and they're of the opinion that it's just like it's good, but like you you know, to to go back to what you said before, it's like are you sure you couldn't just go get a free agent? Right? Like where's what does the actual upside look like here? And then for Jayhawk, it's more like, are we sure? Like, the, the big concern seems to be, like, okay, he's an elite shooter, but what's he doing inside the arc? Um, is that really, is that inside the arc stuff dependable in the NBA at that size with his very slight build, right? He's not the jacked kind of football player looking dude like Quentin is, who's also a 6'5 sniper, but Quentin is, you can't push Quentin around. Well, you can push Quentin around, but you got to be like a power forward or something to do it. So it's it's very hard. Yeah. So um, one uh, friend of the pod, Stacy Patton, uh, the other Pod Strickland co-host, put it well when he's a big fan of both of them. But his whole thing is like, even if you're low on Jayhawk, can you really have like 15 spots separating these guys when they play like the same role just because of height? And he wasn't saying that to like diminish Grady. He was saying like it, if that's the reason, then that might be legit. Like, cause six nine is fucking tall, right? Like we've talked about it. Obi is six nine. Julius Randle six nine. Paolo is six nine. That's fucking tall. Taylor Hendricks is six nine. So Great, Grady um, isn't like six eight, six seven, six eight. Nah, he's at least he's at least six eight. You think he measures up like six nine? I think six eight is the, like the tallest we'll get, but that's still mm-hmm. tall. Yeah, maybe it's just because he's like narrow and kind of lanky. So he I think looks I taller. think the lankiness makes him look tall. I think he'll measure up at like six eight. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe maybe I mean, he comes in at fucking six nine and a half, and I'm like, holy shit! But <laughs> with with his high release, he look he shoots tall, and then on some of his layups, like we you talked about it before, he's not like it's not a question of whether he can get above the rim. It's just when does he deploy it, kind of, and because on on some layups and cuts and dunks, like he gets up there, and it's like oh. This is not RJ Barrett trying to like finesse a shot in. Like he's placing the ball like towards the middle of the square and then just of course it's going in, right? Like it's that's what you do when you're tall. Layups become easier. Full stop. So where are you at on on Grady? And then uh I, I know you mentioned to me before the pod you wanted to talk about Jayhawk because despite UConn being a buzzsaw, you just don't seem to get the hype. I don't get like the top 15 shit. That's like, to me, that's too far, but, but, um, I don't know. Like I will probably have 
him and Grady around the 14 range, right? Like I, mm-hmm. you know, as of right now, I've got like I, I kind of want to put Max and Jet. Nah, but if Grady, well, I got to see. I put Max, Grady. Max and Jet move together on my board. I can't. They got to move <laughs> together. They're like brothers. They're like they are. Too. They are next to each other on my board with nobody separating them. So I'm glad we agree on that. Anytime I move uh, one, I, I'm like I can't. Like, yeah, you can't. One. You can't justify. <laughs> you mean yeah. it's all it's all in or not in? I I completely this is like separating the Morris brothers. I completely feel you. I completely feel you on this. Um, but like right now, the guys I have between Grady and Jayhawk are Max Jet and Jalen Hudshafino, and like more will come. I'm sure Bryce will settle in probably between those two. I if I had to guess. Um, he'll dude, hear the dis- he'll hear the disrespect. Don't worry. Kobe Buffkin might <laughs> He's rising up my board too, man. <laughs> might sneak ahead of Jayhawk though. You know what I mean? Like there are very, there are guys a, that I would sneak ahead. You know, and it's like at that point, that, I'm like that tier is just fucking deep, loaded, right? So it's, it's like to me, I could I have can't even hate. I could have Grady sixteen and Jayhawk eighteen and be happy with how my board looks. Like I don't it, think it, it's some it's some crime to not see both of these guys as lottery or whatever. Like I this think is what I've told people in the Strickland discord. I'm like, I can give you the numbers on my one to 30, but like this year, more than ever, the numbers are not going to help you because who I have at 14 and who I have at 26 are like, you could probably flip flop them without batting an eye. And that might be, a, I don't know exactly what the, the range is, but like the point is, like you said, like just because you have Grady sixteen or Jayhawk twenty, that's not that's not the same insult that it would be in a no. normal year. No, and, and and it's like, what is Hawkins good at to you? That's not shooting. Like good. So, good. so to me, the it, it, everything stems from his shooting, and you can have. We're gonna get real nuanced here. So like. Jordan Hawkins to me is after Bryce or maybe tied with Bryce as the most versatile shooter because nobody else runs off screens in the way that he does simply because like you can't do that. Like most colleges just aren't going to have that as part of their offense. And just like most NBA teams, like how many Rip Hamilton, Kyle Korver, JJ Reddick sets do you see? Like guys come off movement now, but it's never. Like this is all they fucking do. Like back in two thousand eight, and he that's caught, what yo Hawkins caught a Rip Hamilton comp for me on on Dream. He's got he's got a lot of that same classic off screen. Like I, somebody um in our in our draft in our Strickland draft Twitter DM just posted. It was one of those straight on camera angles, like those like shitty NBA two K camera angles, and. You could just clearly see it was like those videos of Steph. You just clearly see all the places he's fucking running, and I just got tired watching that. And I'm just, I'm like, man, Jesus, this like that's a different thing to like run around full speed for like ten seconds and then just catch and fucking shoot that shit. Bryce doesn't do that. Jet doesn't do that. Grady doesn't do that. And because because he can catch it on the move like that, and and this is the key to me. His handle is better than people realize. So he can catch it, and it's not just shoot or pass. He he can catch Hezzy 
and then drive or catch pump cross. He can dribble with his left hand. So I think his closeout attack package off of movement is really, that's where he shines to me. And I think he doesn't really take a lot of mid-range shots and he's still kind of figuring out driving, but he's gotten way better at driving as the year went on. So here's a stat for you. I forget who posted it on Twitter, but in November, his free throw rate was really terrible. It was like 11 or something. And then since December 1st, his free throw rate is 36, which is higher than RJ Barrett's was at Duke. So like he does that because he just lights defense's pants on fire running around. And then once they're panicked, he's like, oh, pump fake, hezzy. And then just drives and he he has some of that IQ foul grifter in him where he's like he knows how to jump into dudes and stuff now. So um he that's to me where aside from shooting he excels. And I know like if I have to spend five minutes explaining it, it's not the same as like Right, but you're saying yeah, you know what I mean? listen, what you're what you're saying he excels at doesn't come up on the stat sheet. It's a means to an ends on the stat sheet, which is like the little presbate shit, that little in between shit, that little that mastery of the margins is kind of what you're talking about to me. Is like that little shit that like good players do it, great ones do it, good ones don't. Like those little things, he just kind of gets it all. So you you kind of just see the development curve of a really good player. Like I get it, I get it. He's just at, he the other skills that make great shooters great players. He's ahead of the curve on that. That's the best way I could put it. Matter of fact, I need to write that down. That was a bar. So, like, that was... There, there you go. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You see him on the curve of a better player than he looked like... For, for I, other I, shooters I the same age. But that being said, the one thing I will say that makes me a little bit nervous about... And, and him on the Knicks would be a great example of that, is, like, you actually have to invest some of your team into that right like if you do if you say jordan hawkins go do quentin Grimes stuff you are fucking wasting just go sign whoever right just go fucking sign some shooter because like we've talked about this with grimes and with quickly both of whom actually had a lot of not quite as much as jordan hawkins but they, they came off screens quite a bit in college and they do it a little bit now on the Knicks. they've slowly do more of it like we're seeing more of the handoff kind of run around stuff with iheart and and IQ and, and Grimes is getting more three point opportunities above the break now. Um, now that his legs are back under him, so you're you're seeing Tibbs and the kids kind of explore that. But you gotta with someone like Hawkins, if you draft him and you don't say, "No, nah, we're gonna like whenever he's ready to play, it might not be our year one, but whenever he's ready to play, we're gonna run him. We're gonna run opponents to death like Kyle Korver style." Then. If you don't do that, you're you might as well just fucking not. It's not guaranteeing his failure, but you're just severely hamstringing yourself in a way that is probably very counterproductive and certainly very dumb. Um, whereas someone like Grady, you don't have to worry about that concern. It's not you're not worried about like, well, like, is the coach gonna optimize him or what? Like, no, he's six nine. You put him what the fucking two, the three, the four. It doesn't fucking matter and. You want him to stand in the corner? Cool. You want him to stand 40 feet away above the break? Cool. You want him to take threes and transition? Cool. Like, all of this stuff, you don't have to be, like, some offensive mad scientist coordinator to come up with. Like, every team, he can fit within every team's offense 
as is. Teams would not have to change what they do. Grady just come through, take IG photos and cash threes and finish at the rim and make good decisions as a connector. You're going to get that. So that's why I totally get folks who are, you know, understandably higher on him beyond just the the height. I'm I'm higher on him than than Jayhawk, but I do think there's something I don't know, man. That that movement stuff is just I can't shake it. That's that's so special to me. But I mean, so is Grady, yep. man. Grady's no, I, Grady's I, a I, fucking I, problem. <laughs> listen, I I don't know. I don't know how to like I'm not telling you what to do with your board, but like don't be a, <laughs> don't be afraid to put Hawk ahead of Grady. Like I think Grady's decision making is super over like not just it's understated how bad it is. Like he's really all and I know he's young, but like you know, if you think Hawkins can do that shit now and well, why bet on someone to figure it out? You know what I, I mean? Like I actually like Grady's um some of the reads he has are like it, his pendulum swings very far in both directions. Like within I, I a game, I feel like I feel like the Jason Kid. You know that Jason Kid reverse layup, that one play of like the literal backwards circus. Yep, like yep, I yep. feel like Grady thinks he could make that happen regularly. I feel like that's his thought process out there. It's like, yo, fuck it, this is what's going down because I feel like it. And obviously, Once- an NBA coach will shit on him for that. Like, imagine Steve Clifford gets his hands on Grady Dick, right? But like, um, you know. We'll see. More, yeah. His, his some of the shots he takes, I'm like, you didn't have to make that quite as difficult. But what I really like from Grady is a uh, some of the passing he does as a connector. Like you talk about like skills that shooters can have that make shooters good basketball players. I think he has some really. I think he's a little bit ahead of the curve in terms of some of the passes he can see, and part of that is because he's he's just tall, right? Like you can if you're a small forward size wing you're probably going to see some more passes that are harder to spot if you're six four or something like that so um and part of that is kansas offense was just like in some on a lot of ways they had him doing things he'll be doing in the nba so he just kind of got used to like oh i have a beastly guy who draws a lot of attention as my teammate and i'm playing off that and i have to you know sometimes spray it out to my teammates and stuff so like his translation is just smooth, and although he definitely has some moments where he has too much uh, dip on his chip, he he he's not starting at square one in terms of decision making, which for me is big because he's also a young freshman, right? Like Jayhawk is a sophomore, and Grady is one of the younger players, and I think I think he'll be nineteen, like barely on draft day. So um, yeah, he'll have to go through that learning curve, but. Uh, that's okay, right? Like you said with Hendricks. Yeah, I think guys like Kyle Kuzma said the NBA has a patience problem, and I don't think that's the case. I I retweeted that tweet because I agree with the sentiment, but I think the problem is more the NBA has a problem with draft age and interpreting it correctly. Like it's not patience because a guy can be. 22 or 19 when they could you know like there are different circumstances right but mm-hmm. um i feel like years of experience i feel like that mm-hmm. or maybe it's a patience problem but it's not age related it's just years of experience in the league related because you could be 22 and then in year four break out at 26 and everyone's like oh my god he's just a different player like 
no, you just decided he, he was closer to his ceiling because you didn't take into stock the fact that someone could have learned more from their coach in one year than they did from theirs in four. Like you just didn't want to think about that, you know? So it's like, uh, I think the patience problem is more with just years of experience or reps, total reps in the league, as opposed to like, Oh, they're this old. So they're this whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a great point. And the example I give to people is actually right here on the Knicks, the Knicks center rotation, right? They're all basically the same age, Sims, Mitch and iHeart, but they all have wildly different paths and years of experience. And because of that, despite them being the same age uh, and relatively young, they're all at vastly different parts of the curve in terms of defensive and offensive processing. And that's just it. it the, the years matter, but what happens in the years matters. Um, so, so I'm with you. I, I think it's not quite a patience problem. It's just, like you said, the league is really fucking stacked and, you know, there's a lot of circumstances that unfortunately are beyond a player's control. So you're going to get more until we have expansion. You're probably going to get more and more players who are like signing with their second teams in better situations for their skill sets. And then they're really good, even as role players and other teams, other people who had them on their first team are going to be like, what the fuck? Why do we let them go? And it's like, yeah, dude. They couldn't play because there were other good players on your team or something like that. Like, we'll probably see it happen with Obi Toppin, right? Like, he'll go somewhere that goes up and down the court and shoots threes, and he's going to get a zillion dunks and roll man reps, and it's going to be like, wow, this look at this. Isn't that interesting, right? Like, people around the league will say that. So um, that's just kind of how it goes. Um God damn, quickly is wildin'. I'm not watching. I Did you see my you the... saw my tweet? Oh, oh. No. <laughs> I tweeted 11 seconds ago about quickly, so that's why I <laughs> that's why I, that's why I asked. I'm not that self-centered, don't worry. And Dallas is winning. Let's go. Keep that pick, baby. All right. We've been going for a long fucking time. I might have to split this giant into into two parts like Avengers fucking Endgame, bro. Well, listen, when when <laughs> draft Strickland and draft class come together that's true the that's notepad true. the notepad is out the pen is out you know what i'm saying yeah. like um, this, is not, this is not the abridged coverage right here side note for you that i'll include as a, a you know if you're a fan of both draft strickland and draft class this will be my closing fun fact the draft strickland logo originally <laughs> read <laughs> class <laughs> and it ended up not making it through the selection <laughs> process at Nick's film school, but I loved that logo and I told Zachary to not let it die. And so I am very glad and happy to see how well it fits you. Um, he changed the font. It is different than the one I, but it's the, you know, like he made it yours and I love it better than I liked mine. So it's so, it was so nice almost to see that next to me the whole time because, um, that kid Zach is really fucking good at what he does. And it just reminds me that we both, you know, we have the same graphics guy, but we've got the best graphics guy in the biz. Cause the two best Knicks draft shows out there, uh, both have his logo. So uh, this, is, this is like when you're, when you're watching like 
rap documentaries and they're like, Hove yeah, passed on this beat yeah, and this then Ludacris <laughs> rapped on this beat. <laughs> and then it was a great hit and it changed his career. But what could have been if Hove was on it or whatever? Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure I'm Hove and you're Ludacris. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. exactly. <laughs> That's how it works. More like you're Hove and I'm. Lil Tecca. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend to know who that is. So. That was. That was the point. <laughs> okay. Well, I like Gen, to consider Gen, myself Gen more in touch with Gen Z rap than the rest of the fucking from, old people. You, I'll send you some of his songs. He's he's a seasonal artist. That kid Tecca. He's like 20 right now. He comes out only for the summer, drops the song of the summer, and then disappears for a year. It's awesome. Where's he from? Uh, I want to say Long Island. Okay, okay. As long as it's New York, that's cool. But yeah, um, it might be it might be Queens. Oh yeah, he's originally from Queens, and then like Long Island tried claiming him, so I, that's what I associated. But he's he's from Queens. Good try, Long Island. Not on this podcast. Yeah, they they made it like ten seconds before I realized. Yeah, no, that was. <laughs> they had ten seconds. Just enjoy it. Sorry, Macri. <laughs> well, Macri <laughs> loved Long Island too, so whatever. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to him. <laughs> he said he'd rather be in Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, mean, I get I'll, it. <laughs> I'll end the, I'll end the, the, the slander there. Um, Chris, tell the people uh, where they can find you. I know for the YouTubers, it's on the screen, but for everyone else, let them know uh, where you do what you do because you're in multiple places on the internet right now these days. I do things. They can be found. The things include covering the New York Knicks. You'll see me at not one, but two games this week with a press pass, providing the best coverage I can for WFUV Sports, the voice of Fordham University. Um, so check that out. Go to my Twitter. Don't bother trying to spell my name. Look in the description of the podcast. Look at the <laughs> look at the video. Don't try to spell it. Don't hurt your head. Just just copy that in there. At Chris Persianen, uh K-R-I-S-P-U-R-S-I-A-I-N-E-N. And there you will find my new freshly released uh big board, my first top 10 look at this class for the draft class show for Nick's Film School. You can catch me live uh Tuesday. And if this is out Thursday, then that'll be the next Tuesday. So whenever what is that? March 4th? Um yeah, March 4th. Sorry, yeah, April, April 4th. God. Cool. <laughs> this year is flying. Um, I almost said 2022. April 2023 is a real month that exists. And on its first Tuesday at 7 p.m., I'll be live on YouTube talking the draft. So any questions you've got for me about my board or things I said to Prez that you think are abhorrent or whatever it is, come ask me about it. Come yell at me about it. Um, yeah, Villanova fans, come yell at him. <laughs> and and other than that, other than that, just support the draft content you're getting from Prez. Even if you see the pod draft Strickland pop up in your feed and you know you don't have time to listen, go retweet on Twitter. Go do whatever. Prez is doing amazing work. And if you are a fan of the Strickland, I, I'm just I'm gonna put it like this: Enjoy Prez while you have him. Enjoy Prez while you have him because. I I assume that Prez's day job is going to, if he wants it to, um, maybe have to take a little rain check for a front office gig for a little bit. So scouting gig for a little bit. So enjoy Prez while he's allowed to tweet these thoughts publicly, because I don't think that'll last for too long. Other than that, um, thanks for having me, man. 
Yeah, man, no problem. And I don't think, listeners, you have to worry about that because if there's one thing I know about scouting is that's a lot of work that doesn't pay well. So you can count me out. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and doing this for fun on the side. Uh, you can find Chris where he said you can find him. Go follow him. Go listen to his shows. Go listen to him broadcast and read his stuff and all that goodness. Um, Chris, thank you again. Really appreciate you as always. And listeners, thank you for this over two hour marathon. Jesus fucking Christ. This is the longest draft trickling ever, I'm pretty sure. So uh, thank you for if you sat through this. Thank you if you sat through part of this. Really appreciate it. And we will see you next time. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.